you know, everybody has a story and most people do want to share, especially some of the folks that I have worked with that maybe a case is unsolved or a case was never considered a homicide to start with. It was quickly ruled a suicide, even though there's an awful lot of evidence that is questionable. And so a lot of folks just want to be able to put their narrative out there. I'm Yvette Walker, the host of the Positively Joy podcast, where we discover that joy is not a feeling, it's faith. You can find previous episodes at PositivelyJoy.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. However you found yourself here, you are welcome, and I believe it was truly God-destined. We are in Season 3, and this season has taken the podcast into the vantage point of what joy is. I'd like you to listen to each episode this season through the lens of how Jesus Christ defines joy. John chapter 15 verse 11 reveals this when Jesus tells us to keep the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Enjoy, and I pray you receive the message the Father has for you. Lori Morrison is a private investigator, and she's also a woman of faith. And when she began to develop an interest in reading about true crime, she decided to marry those interests into a new podcast called The Unlovely Truth. In the upcoming episode, you'll hear Lori talk about her podcast and also talk about how people who work either crime adjacent or in the legal industry can have a strong effect on victims and the families of victims, sometimes for good and sometimes for harm. In the episode, she mentions an upcoming ebook, and I'm happy to announce that it is actually available now. So just go to her website, theunlovelytruth.com, and check it out. Here's Lori. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for being with us today. How are you? Oh, I'm great. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so happy that you uh, agreed to be on the show because you have an interest in two areas that I also have an interest in, and that's crime and and faith. Yes. <laughs> so, so this was really perfect for, for the podcast. And um, I know you know that I have a journalism background. I, I don't know that you know that I was a police reporter once upon a time. I did not know that. Oh, I bet you've got stories. Early, yeah, early in my career before I started moving, you know, into editing and managing. Um, but I, I love your podcast. I love the fact that you that you take uh, book crime books and really get to the meat of it for the podcast. I have so many questions for you, but before we start, uh, let's find out a little bit about you. Tell tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm actually a licensed private investigator, which is nothing that was ever on my radar if you had asked me growing up what I wanted to be, but uh, God's kind of funny like that. Um, he puts circumstances in our life to get us where he wants us. So, so true, so true. Yes, I had I had been a paralegal for years. And my girls were growing up and and leaving the house. And I thought, you know, I've got some time on my hands. I wonder 
if some of my my legal skills, I could maybe volunteer and and be helpful somewhere. So I contacted uh, a local PI, and she probably thought I was crazy, but actually agreed to to meet with me. And so I started um, doing just some volunteering for her. And she said, you know, you could do this. And I thought, why not? And so, you know, several that, years later. Did that surprise you, though? Did that surprise you? It did, because like I said, it really was not on my radar. But I saw how much satisfaction and joy she got out of helping people. And I oh. thought, oh, I want that, too. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, here I am, and and she actually has a, a podcast that she uses very specifically to drive leads to cases that she's working on. And so I wanted to do something a little different um, because then she encouraged me, well, you could do a podcast too. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I can, I can do a true crime book review. That, that would be fun and um, very interesting to me anyway. And so I was working on it and developing it, and uh, a very wise friend said, you know, there's, there's so much noise out there. There's so many people in the space. You got to figure out what it is about you that would be a different perspective. And she said, I think for you, that's your faith. And then it, it really just all came together from there. Wow. Wow. Well, she was completely right. Uh, you're right. This is a very busy space. And it's and sometimes it is hard to get the attention of people, but I think the unlovely truth. And by the way, I love the title. Oh, thank you. Um, is it will do just that. So, my as I said, I have a lot of questions. So, how do you pick the book? Um, do you do you pick the book based on others' recommendations, or do you know about a crime that you're interested in that someone has done a book on, and you pick it that way? It's really a combination of all those things and more. Um, I really started out using books that just fascinated me. But I quickly realized when I was trying to line up guests, it's a lot easier to find a guest and then find a book that matches what their expertise is in. So I've done some of that as well. Um, And some of it is just topical. It's, um, I've got an episode coming up that's about the Baylor men's basketball team because oh, you know, they yeah. are in the news. They've built this wonderful program. Right. Not many people know that 20 years or so ago, they had a huge scandal. A teammate murdered um, another teammate, and the investigation uncovered all kinds of problems with the coaching staff and in NCAA rules breaking just kind of left and right. But they were able to rise from those ashes when they got priorities back on track. And so that's really what that episode focuses on. You know, what can happen when you make winning your God? Wow. You know, there's just, there's so much that that brings to mind, um, just, you know, listening to you and, and talking about your podcast um, I you talked about having lots of stories. So I do have one story I wanted to tell you before we get into yours. And that was the very last story I covered when I was a very young reporter in Gary, Indiana. And they they found uh, the body of uh, an older woman who who was beloved in the neighborhood. She was a Bible school teacher. And or 
or yeah, I mean, she, she taught Bible school and um, she was, she was stabbed to death. Oh, it turns out, and this, this was the last one that I covered for a lot of reasons. I was young. I was covering a lot of crime and I felt like I was beginning to get desensitized. And I was beginning to just look at look at these things as as rote. I mean, they weren't they weren't affecting me in the way I knew they should. So they they got three suspects for this murder, and you can't imagine, but they were teenage girls. Wow. Who who knew of her? And I don't know if they thought that she had any money. I mean, she, you know, she didn't. But I was able to watch, and they shouldn't have let me, but I was able to watch the um, police officer talking to one of the suspects and the girl's mother was in the room because these were underage girls. No one ever wrote a book on this, but this would be good. Um, <laughs> but the thing that always stays with me is as the, as the police officer was talking to her and asking her, okay, what did you do? What did you do next? And she began to talk about the horrific things that she was doing to this woman, how she stabbed her and, you know, all of that. I couldn't take my eyes off the mother who basically had her head in her hands. Like she just, she could not believe that this was her daughter saying this. And this girl was 15, 16. And the one thing that, the one thing that haunts me, this was years and years ago. It haunts me today. She's telling the police officer what she did. And she said, she put the knife in. And he said, what did you do next? And she said, I put it in deeper. And then he said, what did you do next? And I put it in deeper. And he said, why did you do that? And she said, very matter-of-factly, I wanted to see how far it would go. And I'm the mother, again, mother never raises her head. Her head is down the whole time. And I'm sitting there, I'm 20-something. So I'm young, but not as young. And I'm sitting there going, when I was 15, I wasn't wondering how far a knife could go down. No. Now, I wasn't covering faith. I don't know what their faith is. This was, you know, this was in Gary, and um, which wasn't a huge town, but, you know, I'm sure many people had faith there. I can only hope that the mother was, would be able to cling to that. And I left shortly after that, and I never really found out what happened with that case because I went on to another job. I left Gary. I just figured this was going to, I needed to move on to something else. But so I, so, and I tell you all that I appreciate what you're doing because covering crime and talking about crime while interesting from the listener or viewer perspective can be traumatic and hard for the person doing the job. Oh, you bring up a tremendously important point. And you do have to really take proactive steps to guard your heart. But I am just continually inspired by the people I talk to. And I think one of the best examples, I interviewed the mother of a homicide victim. And she had taken a job working with um, a victim's advocacy group. And so she was constantly working with families that were walking through what she had walked through. And I told her how much I respected and was impressed with what she was doing. But I had to ask, how difficult is it for you to walk through that darkness again, especially given what you have experienced yourself? 
And she said, oh, it heals my heart. And so for me, I think that a wonderful perspective to hold on to is that whatever type of involvement you have, whether you're reporting, whether you're investigating, whether you're a volunteer that somehow doesn't even know how they could help but wants to help, if you can just remember you are helping someone through one of the darkest periods of their life. And because of what you do, there's a little more light in the world. And so do you think that's what you're doing with your podcast, the people who are talking with you? Do you think talking with them and as they begin to unfold their story, that is also helping them? So far, that has been my experience. You know, everybody has a story. And most people do want to share, especially some of the folks that I have worked with that maybe a case is unsolved or a case was never considered a homicide to start with. It was quickly ruled a suicide, even though there's an awful lot of evidence that is questionable. And so a lot of folks just want to be able to put their narrative out there. They feel like a false narrative has maybe been made public and they want to tell their version of the story. And so I think that's healing for people. I think it's healing for listeners who maybe have been through something and they say, wow, that person has, has come through on the other side and they're strong and you know, you're, you're never going to get over it. I'm really not sure why the whole idea of closure is a thing but you're different. You've moved on from the place where you were and there's healing in that. And I also really hope that listeners, if they haven't been through something, say, I can make a difference. I don't know how, but somehow I'm gonna figure out how to make a difference. So I like to, to point out opportunities and show people ways they can do that because I very quickly realized as a PI, I can only help so many people at a time. There's only only so many hours in a day. And some of these cases are so convoluted that they last for a very long time. Mm. And so I want to encourage and empower people to step up and make a difference in some small way with skills they already have. They don't have to go out and do something crazy like I did and become a PI. But everybody can do something. So I really want to encourage people to find out what their something is and do it. So let me ask you about two cases. Let me ask you about in your job, what what case that you have worked on do you think would actually make a great episode? And what what interview or what episode you've done has been the most impactful to you and to your listeners? Oh, gosh. Let me start with that second one. Um, It's always gratifying when I hear from listeners that say they got something out of of an episode, but I I did one not too long ago uh, about fraud. Mm. The book was about a man who had used the internet to basically troll for victims. He was actually a serial killer, which we think of most of them in their cars, driving everywhere, looking for victims. This guy found a way to make the victims come to him. Mm. And so I spoke with a fellow PI who is also um, a fraud investigator. And so we talked about, you know, most of us, hopefully, are not going to run into serial killers. 
but there's scam artists everywhere of different stripes. And so we talked about different ways that you can kind of be on your guard and protect yourself and your loved ones. And I um, got a message on social media from someone that had listened. And she said, oh my goodness, thank you for making those resources available. I had someone try to scam me and now I can go look at your guests' resources that she's put together and I can protect myself. Wow. Wow. And I, yeah, anytime I hear anything like that, you know, that, that is just something that really makes my day. Oh, wow. No, I, I definitely can, can see why. Um, because you really feel like you're making a difference. Yes, but I'm, I'm a big proponent of we can do more together than we can alone. Mm-hmm. So I, I want this sort of thing to be a team sport. <laughs> I want people to join the team um, because I never really knew the depth of the problem until I got into this. You know, at, I think the latest statistics that I've seen were through 2019, and I hope I say this right, I believe there's over 260,000 unsolved homicides in this country. So that doesn't even touch um, unsolved sexual assaults, right. um, identity thefts, just all the different types of things that that people can be victimized with. And so I thought, you know, that's going to require an army to try to to make up the gap on that because it just, it grows every year as, as more and more things fall through the cracks. So, you know, you asked what case that I've worked on that would, would make a tremendous book. Of course, I feel like they all would. Um, but there's, there's one and I've, I've worked on several cases that are almost, I don't want to say identical, but they've got so many things in common where you have a loved one that um, police come in, the narrative is very quickly set that it's a suicide. And, you know, investigation 101, if you're, if you're investigating a death scene, you're supposed to assume it's a homicide until you prove that it isn't. That's often not done. And so once the, the suicide narrative starts rolling, everybody else that gets involved with the case from the medical examiner to EMS to whoever, they pick that up. And so they're immediately looking through that lens. Mm-hmm. And so once that train gets going, it's very hard to stop. But I've seen a lot of very courageous families who use the civil court system. They file wrongful death actions so that they can get answers. So we have a family who knows in their heart that their loved one, maybe it is their faith, maybe it's their religion. They would never commit suicide. Although we know that suicide statistics are very high, but, but you have yes. a family who just knows and, and, and believes the police aren't taking them seriously. That mm. happens far, far too often. Or things can also be written off, perhaps, depending on the circumstances, as an accidental death. Mm-hmm. You know, those are, those are easier to close, take a lot less time. And, you know, sometimes there's political considerations, depending on who's involved. And, 
just a lot of things that shouldn't influence the, the case's progress, but often do. So just making people aware, if, if you have a death in the family that you think just something seems off about that, you know, learn how to take the steps to preserve evidence and, and to ask the right questions and to keep pressure on so that it gets looked at properly to, to the best of your ability. Mm. How are you able to use your faith in the producing of this, of this podcast and, in, and also with, you know, helping the family? Because when you, when you talk to the families, um, I'm sure in a way you're giving them solace. And oh, so sure. are you able to use your faith in that? I am, but I do try to be very respectful. They are in the midst of, like I said before, the worst time of their lives. And so I don't want to come across as um, being pushy or driving a different agenda when the focus should be on them. I look for opportunities when it makes sense and when they seem open. I think, though, one thing I really want people to understand is rather than shying away from this type of work, I honestly believe that Christians are uniquely qualified to do this sort of work. You know, Jesus asked us to go after not only the lost, but the marginalized. And there's there's definitely a lot of marginalization when people have encountered a traumatic event. People don't know what to do. They Should I talk to them about it? Should I not talk to them about it? Um, should I offer help or would I just make things worse because I don't know what to do? We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to step in, whether it's just to say, I'm just here to sit with you so you're not alone. Mm-hmm. I'm here to be an ear when you want to talk. I'm here to make phone calls if you need me to because you're just out of strength today. You know, there's there's so many ways people can help. And, and even if you don't have direct contact with a victim to where you can step in, I bet most people don't know that a lot of first responders, police especially, they will carry on their rigs, in their trunks, stuffed animals. And the reason they do that is because if they are called to a scene where there's a child there that's been traumatized, whether the child's the victim or just a bystander, but their world's been turned upside down now, they have a comfort item for that child. And it also helps build some trust and some relationship there. So I think it's a wonderful idea. You know, most people have done a clothing drive or a toy drive at Christmas. Do a teddy bear drive and then call your local police and say, I've got all these. I'd love to bring them to you for your officers to use. Simple. And everybody has the skills needed to do something like that. That is amazing. That is great. That is great. Boy, you really give me an idea. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to think about that. That might be something that I work on here. Um, So I think that, I mean, a lot of people have tragedy in their life, but in this last year, 
I think a lot of people have lost people. They've lost people or had people get really, really ill due to COVID, which is not a crime. But I think as far as people just being surrounded by death or illness, for a lot of people, this was the first time that they really saw this up close firsthand. Right. And in a way, that's great because if you if you have not had a lot of tragedy in your life, that's wonderful. But you know, a lot of people have, we know that. But I think a lot more people witnessed it this year. And again, it's not crime, but being the hands and feet, just like you said, I think you can use those same skills that you were talking about when people lose people prematurely. And even if they are older, still they were still lost prematurely. Yes. Oh, yeah. You've just had a fourth anniversary as a PI, but you had a 50th anniversary episode. So the one that's out now is Joshua Lee Walden. Oh, yes. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that one. Because you're right. It was heartbreaking. It was. And it's been a cold case for 20 plus years. And I, I just, I'm trying to imagine if I had lost a child. And I had waited over 20 years to know what happened. Mm -hmm. And so I started kind of digging into it. And, you know, he seemed like such a just normal kid. He was out on his bike that day. It was an early December day, but it was warm because it was in Tennessee. And he just never came home. Wow. And... You know, I'm not sure he was only 10, but it was a different time back then. You know, maybe one parent assumed the other knew where he was. And finally, um, an older sister said, hey, where's he at? And so police were finally called. um, And, you know, it had been hours, many hours, I think probably almost eight hours since anyone had seen him uh, that they knew of. And so, you know, the police came. They, they did a great job, from what I could tell, of canvassing neighbors, of searching. But I imagine by that point, he was already dead. And when they found him about a day and a half later, there didn't seem to be any signs of, of sexual trauma. He had been suffocated. And that was really all they could ever find out. And that's that's so little to know about the last moments of your child's life, not to mention the fact that they don't know who did it. And so no one's ever been, been brought to justice and, and made to, to pay for that crime. And so forensic advances in the last few years have been absolutely great about solving crimes. That's not always possible mm-hmm. because of, you know, sometimes spoilage if things didn't get preserved right or the right thing wasn't collected in the first place because the testing didn't didn't exist then so they didn't know what to collect sure but i've often found that even without new forensic information someone knows it's so rare that an offender hasn't said something to someone hasn't done something that made someone suspect something. And so when I, when I profile these unsolved cases or missing, missing persons, whatever the case may be, I just really try to hammer home 
someone knows something. If you'll share this podcast, if we can get it in front of as many people as we possibly can, maybe someone will finally come forward because maybe a relationship has soured. And so where they were willing to keep a secret before, they weren't anymore. That does happen. Yes. Maybe they have just had a personal transformation themselves and they can't live with the guilt anymore of knowing something. And so you never know when someone who didn't come forward before now is just the right time for whatever reason. Mm. So, you know, I think any kind of awareness we can bring up of these cases just gives another shot at it being solved. Wow. Wow. Do you have a scripture that you stand on when you're doing your work, either as a PI or when you're working on your episodes and interviewing people? Well, I definitely love Micah 6, 8. I'm sure most of your listeners are probably familiar with that. What does your God require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? And so, you know, obviously justice is important. The crime's been committed. That victim needs to be made whole where possible. That's obviously not always possible. Um, Society needs to be kept safe. And we all need to be accountable for our actions the way we will be someday Mm -hmm. at at the feet of Jesus. And then to love mercy. This one is so hard. But God calls us to love the offenders as much as the victims, simply because he does. And boy, in our humanity, that is really, really hard. But I think that ties in with that that third part then, walk humbly with your God. We all need to understand that given the right set of circumstances, we might be on the wrong side of the law as we've seen some of these other people be. When we put self-interest above serving others and looking out for the needs of others, it can happen. We might not end up a serial killer, but I interviewed a man who was convicted of multiple financial crimes, spent, I think, So just over 17 years in a federal prison. And from his perspective, before he was caught, he was providing for his family. Mm. And boy, we can talk ourselves into this isn't really, what I'm doing isn't really bad because. Right. So being humble enough to remember that, that verse sums sums it all up for me. Wow, that's just excellent. So I think that the kind of work you do, and I've, I've never been a PI, but I think, the, I think the closer we are to either writing about crime or working, not in the crime industry, but working in the legal industry. <laughs> I, maybe it feels like the crime industry sometimes, right? Some days. Some days. <laughs> um, I, I think it can, it can have an effect on us. It can change us in a way that the consumers of that news and information might not see. And so, again, I, I want to thank you for what you're doing, because I think it's just really interesting. Oh, and uh, this has been one of the most interesting conversations I've had. So thank you. Well, thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Well, all right. Well, thank you very much. And we will have you on again when that book comes out. 
Oh, that'll be fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Positively Joy today. Go to PositivelyJoy.com for inspiration, encouragement, and past episodes. Follow the podcast and review and subscribe wherever you go for podcasts. Don't forget to check out our cool merchandise with our new logo. And also on the website, go to the talk tab and leave us a message on what you love about Positively Joy and what you'd like to hear in the future. Again, thanks so much for being with us. Bye for now.